On May 26, as part of the Economist Film Project, the hard-hitting documentary Kim Jong-ilia will be shown during the PBS NewsHour. Today's Global IQ Minute with The Economist is with N.C. Hyken, the film's director. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Please tell us first, if you would, about the significance of the title. The Kim Jong-ilia is a flower that was created to honor Kim Jong-il for his 46th birthday. It was created by, I believe, a Japanese botanist, and it's very hard to recreate, and apparently since then a lot of botanists have lost their lives trying to do it. And it's meant to, to represent peace, love, wisdom, and justice. This is, you know, this struck me as the height of irony, and that's why I chose it for the title of the film. What can you tell me about this new partnership between The Economist and the PBS NewsHour? I can tell you that I think it's a fantastic thing. It's just a way for, for filmmakers to promote their films, a way for us to reach so many, so many more people, millions of people. And The Economist is really very advanced in recognizing that very often documentary filmmakers are doing you know, the deepest journalism on an issue that, that is around. So their partnership is, I mean, it's just great. I'm really, really grateful to be part of it. One of the things that struck me in, in watching the trailer of the film is our focus nowadays seems to be so much on the nuclear threat from North Korea, and we've really not focused on the humanitarian misery, and that's what your film depicts so bravely. Well, that's exactly why I made the film, was to, to show this, because I think we have a one-point one vision, and vaguely know that Kim Jong-il is bad and possibly ridiculous and, you know, a cartoon kind of character, and but actually what's going on there is some of the worst human rights abuses we've ever heard of. I mean, it's up there as the worst of the worst. And uh, they have concentration camps, which is something that really got me. I mean, the most emotionally compelling aspects of this whole thing for me was the idea that there were camps and that they would put innocent children in these camps who really had not done anything. They were simply related by, to someone who they had accused of a crime, which, you know, even then, what was the crime? Some kind of political malfeasance, you know. So I think it's very important for us to know what they are doing to their own people as we treat with them on other issues that are more sort of globally uh, prominent, especially the nukes, of course. And as you point out, I mean, there are children who are born in these concentration camps that are then become prisoners for their whole lives, and, and you were able to interview some of these children as well as even a, a world-renowned concert pianist. Yeah, the young man I interviewed who was born in a camp was absolutely exceptional. It's exceptional that he escaped the camp and could tell his story. But the idea that, that they allow children to be born in the camp and then raise them to be slaves with no hope to escape and with a very short life expectancy because they're going to be beaten for their entire lives, it, it's just beyond the pale. It's so far beyond decency that, you know, it's way off the charts. And he's a very lovely young man who is carefully trying to put his life together now. When he first got out, literally just crossing the street was was terrifying for him because he had no idea how to make the simplest decision. So that's one fellow, you know, at the very bottom. And then the very top is this concert pianist who's the son of a very high party cadres within the very exclusive Pyongyang Music Conservatory for only the best and brightest, the handsomest, but only of the party uh, privilege, not of any other class. And he, he wanted to play this jazz song he'd heard. It's not even a jazz song, it's a sort of romantic ballad that he heard while he was studying in Moscow, and he came back to Pyongyang and wanted to play it for his girlfriend. And he was reported and denounced and had to write all sorts of reports about his own punishment, and it sent him round the bend. He said, I can't take it. I practiced all my life to be able to play music, and I can't even play what I want to play. I'm leaving. He just 
without thinking much, I mean, he said, I heard people went to China, so he stole money from his parents and uh, paid off a border guard, which is the way you do it, and crossed the Tumen River and went knocking on a, an ethnic Korean door in China. This is a very poor area of China. It's not like he was landing in, you know, um, a western bustling city. He knocks on the door and he says, I'm a constant from Pyongyang, and he told me that um, the people didn't know what a piano was, and they didn't care who he was. <laughs> they just uh, said, well, uh, you know, if you don't want us to turn you in, you can work for us, and he became their sort of manservant. So we can see this whole story in the film. You can. Let me ask you about the timing of this being on the PBS NewsHour. I understand that Robert King, who is the United States Special Envoy, is visiting North Korea. What's the purpose of his visit and uh, as being part of this UN delegation? Well, there's been a lot of talk about food shortages this year in, in North Korea. And, you know, Jimmy Carter was there with his group of elders, former heads of state. He, Jimmy Carter, came out convinced that they needed food. And Ambassador King is now going to investigate further to see if there really is a need and whether or not the U.S. will give them food aid. It's a very, very tough question because everything you do with North Korea is always damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's like it's hard to make a, a right decision. And I know that there are definitely, uh, there's a camp that says we shouldn't give any aid whatsoever because it propped the regime up. And then the other side says you can't let millions of people die. So it's a very hard decision. Well, your film has certainly been well received. I know it was a finalist at Sundance and also received the award for best film at the 2010 One World Film Festival in Brussels. Has right. it been widely distributed? It is absolutely. It's on the documentary channel, premiered in October there. It's been in festivals all over the world. It's available on regular retail outlets like Amazon and it's on Netflix. You can actually download it. And a very thrilling development for us is that it's opening in Seoul at the end of June, which is really amazing, you know, that it's going to be in South Korea. I, and my a lot of the people in the film will be able to attend the premiere. Well, I want to encourage everybody to watch the PBS NewsHour tomorrow on May 26th for a discussion and to see an excerpt of the film. And of course, as you mentioned, you can go to Netflix or to the Discovery website to see the film in its entirety. Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on your film. You can follow The Economist Film Project on Twitter at Economist Film. And to see Kim jong Nelia or other films that are part of The Economist Film Project, go to film.economist.com. This is Global IQ Minute with The Economist, produced by the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Thank you for listening.